Bette Midler, Einstein, and Mordecai Richler, Abby, Alana, and their pal Wolf Blitzer. That guy my Bobby once met on a cruise. These are a few of my favorite Jews. Hello, guys and dolls. Welcome to episode 7 of A Few of My Favorite Jews. I am going to have to once again apologize for uh, the room tone. This is the only time I can record the intro um, because I am living with my sister now, my sweet little sister, and she works from home and our place is small and noise carries and I talk about my farts and she has very important meetings to attend and her coworkers haven't yet learned about farts and I don't want to be the one to tell them. I don't want them to have to hear it from me first, so I keep it down. Uh, and this is the only time I have to um, get a quick little intro recorded. And uh, there's a room noise, and I, I don't control room noises. Sometimes I control room noises, like when I turn the AC on or off, or when my fart lasts a long time or a short time. But right now I have no control. So here we are. Um, I'm not sure if you guys can hear. Um, that I have a really big zit um, just to the right of my chin. It's not important. I wouldn't say it's important. It's not an important zit, but it's a distracting one. Um, and I, know, I mean, I get zits all the time. That is actually a really important part of adulthood or like being 31 is that I have, um, I have acne and I have crow's feet and I have wrinkles on my forehead and I have acne. And I have wrinkles. Um, anyhow, uh, this one's just particularly, it's, this one is just getting on my nerves because it hurts. And I am, honestly, I'm distracted and I, maybe you can hear it. Or maybe you can hear her, you know? Why I oughta quiet down, Pip. I call her Pip. Um, listen, we have another banger of an episode. Um, I don't know who listens to this. You know, I, I think there's a lot... I think there's a lot of listeners hopping on um, who maybe used to read the Canadian Jewish news and they are expecting something uh, that's in line with what they used to read tonally, um, politically, you know, and maybe that's not what they're going to find here. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you um, to stick around and, um, you know, consider that. Maybe, you know, we're not so different, you and I, other than our presumably um, pretty large age gap and my talking zit, you know? Um, anyways, I guess I'm just, um, I'm thinking about this because I, I got uh, a review or a, I guess somebody emailed into the, somebody emailed into my producer um, because they, they were upset um, that I was talking about female, uh, body parts. And first of all, like leave my producer alone. He doesn't, um, he doesn't know anything about female body parts. That's not his problem. Okay. We haven't taught him about that yet. And secondly, I talk about male body parts too. So I just feel like I'd love to get an email complaining about that. You know, I'd love to live in a world where people are equally disgusted by all human genitalia. 
and yet, you know, and yet. Anyways, what, or people who are listening to this are just my friends. Honestly, I don't think they're listening either. Um, if any of my friends are listening, the way you can prove it is by um, sending me a message that just says, nimble, nimble, hoo-ha-ha, and then I'll know you heard it. Otherwise, I'll assume that you don't support me. What kind of mood am I in today? I really don't know. Um, I'm getting my period tomorrow. So sorry to all the people who uh, haven't yet learned about periods, but, you know, maybe when you turn 67, they'll teach you about them. Um, but right now, that's what's happening with me. Get Sometimes I get a little bit feisty. I get a little bit riled up. Um, I get a little bit, you know, bloaty. I get a little bit gassy. I get a little bit scary. scary. I get a little bit frightened. Um, I get a little bit silly. Um, I get a little bit taller, and I get a little bit hungry. Um, and that's what's going on with me. I've moved into a new, um, uh, place with my sister. As I mentioned, I just love it so much. I love the place. I think we did a really good job. Um, just in the last week, we moved about a week ago and only in the last week, in only a week, I should say, we've gotten, um, so much done around the house and it looks really cute. And I'm proud of myself. I don't generally put this much thought or work into making a home for myself because I've been renting um, in this city forever and I move around a lot. But this feels this feels like a home. This feels like I'm going to be here for a while, um, which I haven't felt in a long time, maybe ever, because I never felt settled in myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I never felt settled in who I am. And so everywhere I, I went felt uh, temporary because... I felt temporary. My situation felt temporary. Uh, whereas right now, things feel quite permanent for me. Um, I'm alone, and I would love to be that way forever. So, anyways, listen, we have, honestly, one of my favorite episodes I've done. Uh, my guest, Sophie Buttle. She's a stand-up comedian. She is a Juno-winning stand-up comedian. Okay, so this is really fun. <laughs> this is great. I went to Sophie's um, website to, like, get a little bio to tell you guys about her, even though I already, like, I know offhand. Um, she has an album out. She's a Juno winner. She's She writes for 22 Minutes. She's, like, open for Reggie Watts and a bunch of other cool people. She's just done a lot of cool stuff. Um, but I wanted to get a more specific bio. So I went to her website and I went on, I went to the tab that says bio and, um, it just says very famous. So, you know, I guess that's all she wants you to know about her. And I think that's all you need to know about her. I truly find her to be one of the funniest people I've ever met ever or spoken to. She's just a stone cold hottie and um a weird jew okay my favorite category of person weird jew and i've always just felt a kinship uh with her because we're just like you know vaguely semitic looking blonde women and um that's all i have to say okay uh she and i talked about sasha baron cohen who i have been a fan of for some time i was a fan of him comedically but only in my research of him did I really become a fan of him personally. Um, he's just an interesting, interesting guy. The Brits always, they're just cool. They just, they do cool stuff. They study their craft. They know things. They're cultured and they like incorporate that into their art or whatever. Um, and I had a really fun time talking to Sophie about Mr. Baron Cohen. 
Okay, listen, let's just hop into it. Here is Sophie Buttle. I think that millennials are gonna make the best parents. Yeah, I think that. Because <laughs> we're a very open generation. Our kids are gonna be the first generation of kids that can be whatever they want sexually and like gender-wise, and that's it. <laughs> you know, we're not gonna have money to like feed them. <laughs> But they're also not gonna have body image issues. They're gonna be so skinny. <laughs> Our kids are also gonna be the first generation of kids to be properly taught about the internet. Because we were not. I don't know what you guys had. We had one assembly in high school where the principal just came out and was like, do not send nude photos. <laughs> of yourself to Mr. Scott anymore, Sophie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so he is getting them. I've seen enough clips from The Bachelor to know that really men just want you to be like, to be like <laughs> oh my God, you're that's the so energy. Funny. You're witty. You're actually always like, you're so funny. You witty. It's usually after like a double entendre, but the but it's not. They just said it sexually. Like it's like, oh, will you pass me the milk? And then he's like, oh, or, or would you pass me the milk? And she's like, you're witty. And she's like, you're actually my favorite comedian. <laughs> That's like all men want is like to make a stupid joke that is not funny. And like we don't think that it's funny. It's just when you like somebody, you think that everything that they say is funny. This yeah. moment. <laughs> my favorite stand-up club this moment right here be on the stage i love my other favorite thing that they say is like it's usually in the confessional they usually don't say it to him but they're like we just have like really good banter and it's like no you absolutely do not because they would have showed it if you had good banter <laughs> it's never people that are good at talking that say that they have good banter like people that can hold a conversation never say because like even if you're great at talking you've got lots of opinions you can keep a convo going a first date never has good banter like you're just kind of like weirdly it's stilted yeah, yeah. it's stilted and i think if you're like a good conversationalist or at least if you like mm, yeah if you're a good conversationalist and you expect someone else to be your standard is relatively high so for someone to say like oh that was good banter like to put the stamp of approval on banter it has to be like really good but imagine being somebody who actually didn't care like like the bachelor contestants where like their standard for what constitutes an enjoyable conversation is literally on the floor just observing things <laughs> in the vicinity <laughs> Well, that was, like, something that I always really struggled with, with, like, the popular girls in high school, because it's, like, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, a loser or anything. I would hang, I was on the soccer team, so I had all my soccer girlfriends, but I remember, like, not understanding the conversations that they were having, like, and I remember thinking, like, oh, maybe they're off because I'm here, and I don't usually, like, hang out with them, too, when they're alone. Like, I always, like, thought that to myself, but then I'm, like, I think that that's just actually how they talk to each other all the time. A thousand percent. Also, my file just closed um, with all my Sasha Baron Cohen stuff, so I'm going to open it. But first, I'm going to ask you, um, 
why you chose him as your favorite Jew. Well, favorite Jew, favorite celebrity, I think in general, like pretty, pretty easy choice for me it was pretty immediate. Mace was laughing at me because I was like, yeah, Laura asked me to do her podcast, like favorite Jews and immediately obviously Sasha Baron Cohen. And he was like, what, like why? <laughs> and like, I just remember, so he has always been really influential on me, I think because I love a stunt and all he does is stunts. And like, I think that he made me gaslight myself into thinking that I loved sketch because I thought what he did was sketch comedy, but it's not, it's just pure stunts. And he just like, I th I don't know if he, it picks up on camera, but I am white trash. And like his character, Ali B, I used to be so, I don't know if in love with is the right word. He just like was really the representation of like the kind of boys I went to school with yeah. and some of my ex friends, like just like, just, ignorant just ignorant <laughs> just ignorant and just pure ignorance and like but like lovable and I think what's like so beautiful about the characters that he creates is that you're just so rooting for them and he's found a way to find the most likable characters that say the worst things which is like my favorite thing in comedy and I was like Mason and I were just talking about like like our favorite archetypes in comedy and how we kind of end up writing for them a lot. Like for Mace said that his was like, his is more for scouting, but like for um, character wise, like guy trying to get away with something he loves, like he thinks is really funny. For me, it's just like, as, and you can tell my stand up, like I just like arrogant idiot. Like to me, arrogant idiot is like the purest form of comedy. And Sasha Baron Cohen kind of does that. His is more. Yeah ignorant it's like it's a little bit arrogant but it's more based in ignorance which yes. is arrogant and ignorant is kind of interchangeable but it is a slight distinction and i would agree yeah that was the way that i am not copying him it's very different mine is arrogant instead of just ignorant it's arrogant led <laughs> it's arrogant it's an arrogant um, lens i mean but also so like I did a lot of research on him in the last few days. I started off doing like the amount I had to do for us to chat, but then I did way more because he's really fucking interesting. He's so interesting. And one so of the, so like so interesting. In fact, um, I always play two truths and a lie at the end of the podcast, but I'm going to play three truths and a lie with you because he's just like so many weird things about him. Um, but one of the things that came up is how he like, he's like a literal clown. Like he went to clown school to learn how to be a clown. Yeah. And the pure definition of a clown, it, or like the pure form of clown that, that you think of when you think of a clown is somebody who's so stupid that if they were one degree dumber, they would die. And that's kind of not exactly <laughs> what you're describing, but just like the ignorant archetype. I also love the ignorant archetype. I don't, yeah, I don't know why it's so funny, but it's like it, there, there is a kind of stupid that like comes with insecurity and like wishing you were smarter. And that's not the kind of stupid that's fun. Like stupid that's full confident in their abilities and thinks that they're right. And that's, I think why, like, I like reality TV because that's like the easiest place to find these people. Like producers know that that's what people want to see. Like that's the most fun character. And they're just an endless well because of their confidence, whatever they think about a subject, they're going to tell you and they're pretty sure about it, you know? <laughs> and they're pretty sure that they're sure. Um, <laughs> 
it's also like almost aspirational like watching somebody um who's fully confident no matter my one of my friends has like a very I would say like potent fear of people who are really sure of themselves but very bad at something like she's a musician and if she hears a musician who is very bad but like launches in confidently it makes her feel like sick I actually find it so I won't say inspirational but like aspirational like I want I want that I want a little taste of what it would be like to just be like welcome to me you can just do that. You can literally just like, if you have a thought, you can tell people and you can decide not to care what their judgment is. I personally don't have an inner monologue. I'm from the no inner monologue camp. So I have never really spent very much time thinking about what other people are thinking about me because I that's not really how my brain works. So I assume other people can't really form a judgmental thought about me because that's I, I can't really do it. So I say a lot of stuff that I think a lot of other people would, from what I gather, would stay up late at night um, regretting having said to a group. And it just doesn't really come up for me. <laughs> you are an icon. I really, I'm, I remember <laughs> you posting about that a while ago that you don't have an inner monologue. And it stuck with me because I remember it. It, it stuck it's with so me. Interesting. It, is, it is the most um thing uh, self-reflection wise that has been the most telling for me like it's not my not my astrological sign not being only child of you know divorce like none of the main archetypes like it's just as soon as I realized this was the group of people I belong to it just yeah. made so much sense. well that's more defining than anything because like that's going to inform your whole personality being able to say something and then not like have nightmares about it is <laughs> Like, you're just going to be a way more open person. And I bet you people, because I always find that when I'm, like, either super vulnerable or, like, really in a mood where I just don't give a shit what um, I say, everyone else around you just becomes like that. So you, like, create yeah. you create more people like that. Yeah, it's true. And, like, relationships are all built off of shared vulnerability. So if you don't have that fear and those walls up, like, you can just get the ball rolling. Mm, just get it all out. Is Mace like that, too? Or does Mace have an inner dialogue? He has an extremely all-the-time inner dialogue. That makes sense. That's, like, he asks a lot of, like, um, pointed questions about it. Like, I remember when we first discovered it, he was like, so you don't have, like, thoughts? Yeah, like, like what are you thinking right now? And I was like, I'm thinking you're rude. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard to grasp though like it is hard to grasp because you you have thoughts because you can say words like you are a human person and you're not a child sure. but I think as I feel like Mace is also probably very like self-reflective yes very well, well, yeah I, re I just remember like I was quite surprised when I found out everyone had an inner monologue but I had a suspicion because of movies and stuff like whenever a character like looks in a mirror and then you hear them talking to themselves like I always thought it was like just a cinematic tool to like oh, I was gonna guess them. if you thought it was just like some next character they'd never introduced it was just off screen because you like couldn't conceptualize I think I hate movies like where are all these people <laughs> so you had a suspicion that that was a thing but you didn't things to confirm it for a while, for a little bit. Yeah, totally. What I just don't understand is like, 
doesn't it get very busy? Like, I just feel like I would get tired of hearing talking and thought like it just feel I don't know how anybody would get anything done you don't I mean you do but it's just you're just more tired you're sleepy you're sleepier than than probably <laughs> people who don't have an inner monologue okay but I am going to get us started on talking about yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen yeah. but we're going to yeah. go I'm in Toronto anyway we can talk normal style wait you said you're coming back to Toronto yeah I'm going to be back in September oh yay so you like live live in in van yeah and then you come back to perform I come back to like see Mace's family and my family and, and do shows. Yeah. Oh, both your families are here. Okay. I see. Your poor Jewish parents not being in the same city as you. <laughs> I know. Um, okay. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen was born on 13th October 1971. It's all in like British format, I guess. Um, so he is a. Is he a Libra or a Scorpio? I've been really into astrology lately. Hard to say. I think that's Scorpio, but is that, wait, 13th of October? That's like beginning, middle, I guess. Yeah, because it my dad be. is the 16th. No, I think he's a Libra and he's kind of like, he has, he has the same energy as my dad. Um, now, I, <laughs> now I can't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Um, he was born in Hammersmith, London to Jewish parents. His mother, Daniela, was a photographer who was born in Israel, and his father, Gerald, was, a, an, edu- was an editor-turned-clothing store owner who was born in London and raised in Wales. He's an I love it. He has, like, perfect parent names, too. Is it Isabella and Gerald? Is that what Daniela <laughs> and Gerald. Yes, those are Daniela really good. And it, it is so perfect, too, because you could just see it. Like, you could just see the kind of beautiful, creative photographer mother and then the like slightly more businessman but still with good taste father just trying to bring home some money for the fucking photographer wife and kid that's how you make a star yes my mom speaks hebrew as well does she yeah she went to hebrew school did the whole thing do you no like not at all like i know some words and i know like all the prayers but i i couldn't translate prayers I wish I had gone because I love languages and stuff, but I just remember like I was definitely one of only two Jewish kids at my school. So I was really not trying to like lean into the Jewish thing that early on. Like I it was still in a phase where you're like, you're not trying to make a splash in a Jewish way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it was me and Jonah and Jonah went on to also be my first kiss and relevant um, at his bar mitzvah. We watched Borat. <laughs> Wait. They screened yes. Borat? So it was after. It was after the bar mitzvah at his okay. parents' place. We all sat in the hot tub and there was a projector and we watched Borat from the hot tub. And it was like early projector era. Like it was like, and I think it was like still kind of light out. So you couldn't super see it. But I had already seen Borat like a number of times. So I, and then also like when Borat 2 came out this year, um, Mace had never seen Borat 1. So, and it was like happened oh. to be on TV. so we watched it and like we've been dating for a long time we've been dating for like four years or something and he did not know about my passion for Borat and like when I tell you that I knew every word to Borat like he was shocked like I was saying I was melting and I don't like when people do that I obviously it's really distracting but I couldn't help it I just it's I have such a bad memory too but I just know every word to Borat like I think I could just do a performance without notes of the entire Borat film in order. (laughs) 
Okay, so while we're here then, I need to know like what this is about. Because I love, I also love Borat. Um, I I loved it very much growing up. You're also actually probably at like the perfect age. So it came out at, in 2006? Is that about when it came out? Let me check. So that would have... I'm sure, yeah. I would have been 12. Okay, so it came out around your like bar mitzvah age which is the yeah. perfect age to see Borat for the first time. And then you become an adult and you see a lot more of like the social commentary layer of it. So it makes a lot of yeah. sense. But I also, so my parents were divorced. My dad lived in Vancouver and my mom and I were in Ontario, but my dad's like greatest gift to me was he used to mail me VHS tapes that he would record with like his favorite shows. And it was like, you know, this is before Netflix and YouTube and stuff. So like, and he would record it and like edit out the ads and like just all of his favorite shows. So like a lot of like Simpsons, South Park, um, some more kid shows like a Malcolm in the middle. Um, but he always put in the LEG show too, which of course was Sasha Baron Cohen's like show that was the springboard for Borat and Bruno and I think Borat, Bruno, and Ali G were yeah, the those three. Those were like the big three. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like a fan of Ali G where like certainly like nobody in my school watched it or anything. And I think that that was maybe part of it too. Like it just felt like this very like adult secret comedy thing that I had. And my dad and I would talk about it too. And it was like so good. And it, uh, yeah, I don't know why it just like I grew up watching Ali G and then the Borat movie came out. And that's kind of when all my friends got to meet him too so it was it was really like a and it's like it's on tv it's not like I discovered him but I felt like I discovered him um the things yeah the things that we first of all the things we watched as children but especially if we watched them first and they later became popular they do feel very special because Mm -hmm. you uh, especially when you're a kid and especially when you're a kid who's into comedy which again is not a cool thing to be into even as a kid. Like, it's cool to laugh and have fun, but, but like, studying comedy is not that cool. Um, so having people, like, catch up to you is really, really exciting. Um, and then also, I imagine, like, being, like, when you're a kid, too, especially a girl, I always wanted to, like, I did bond with my dad a lot, but, like, especially I wanted to like the same things as him a lot because I feel like it wasn't as yeah. expected that I would, like, the like the father figure like the male stuff you know yeah yeah and it is it is like I love hearing about women's relationships with their dads because it all like a lot of them especially in comedy it seems like a lot of my friends like the the kind of main answer if you're like what it, what is your relationship like with your dad is like oh yeah, now I can kind of talk to him. Like that seems to be kind of the baseline. So if there's any, like I also like totally used to try to like impress my dad with like comedy stuff. And it's so weird because he's always made it pretty clear that the way to impress him is to have some kind of musical ability. (laughs) Yeah. And I, he would always just give me instruments and stuff. And I just, for some reason, like I'm just not good at music and it's pretty clear. Like if, if I true, if my true goal was like to impress my dad, like literally to just play any instrument somewhat moderately, like that would do it. But instead I just like committed my life to comedy because he also likes comedy just in a lesser way. Like even when I put out a comedy album, he was like, it's so cool that we both like put out 
audio stuff. And I was like, this is, yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, but yeah, totally. <laughs> so that's like, that's the shared bond is that it both makes sound. <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. Good for you though, for, for cutting your losses with the, with the music thing. When I mean, you're gonna... I'm, I'm looking at my saxophone right now. Like I, I can't play it, but I'm looking at it. <laughs> oh, so, so sorry. So you have a saxophone, but you can't play it. I have a saxophone, I have a keyboard, I have a bass. Um, okay. Can't play Were these, like, did your dad give them to you or did you get them for yourself? All of them. Yeah. Okay. No, he shows up at home with instruments and he's like, here, here you go. And what he said to me, and I, like, I've told him, I'm like, dad, like, I don't play instruments. And he's like, yeah, but I figure like, if they're like lying around, like maybe you'll like pick them up. And I'm like, I'm not poor. Like, I don't think that I will. <laughs> it's also like, it's not subtle. I like when you said that he made it clear, I thought maybe like he was always playing music and stuff, but he's like, literally shipping you instruments um so it's not so heavy instruments yeah <laughs> and like and like he wants he's like if they're just lying around so like he just like leaves them laying out like he just like pulls them out of the closet and like so that you happen upon them in like the bathroom and stuff yeah there that's a very father that's thing pardon mm -hmm. oh yeah that's just that's truly what he thinks is gonna happen it's dad's Dads really want, like, my dad really wanted me to be a ther like a psychiatrist or a therapist because he's a psychiatrist. And um, I'm 31. Um, I have sunken all of my resources into fucking comedy. Like, my, my age, my youth, my beauty, my time, everything. All down. All. It's all. It's, I put it all in. I'm not leaving now. And he's <laughs> still, like, um, he, who... He, he gave me some example of somebody. I wish I could remember who it was. It was like a Russian person who's a, a performer and um, went to med school and like, <laughs> I was like, I'm yeah, not, not that. I never will be that. That's so funny. I mean, the, the proudest my dad has been of me, I think is like, I've opened for Reggie Watts a few times, who is a comedian and, and a musician yeah I've never put the pieces together until right right now but I think that has to be what it is that's a hundred percent what it is and also that is like a very cool accomplishment undoubtedly whether someone's into comedy yes, but I have other cool accomplishments that that's have the not one. been <laughs> yeah <laughs> I actually have a theory it's a loose one and it doesn't like apply to everybody but I do think that comics like okay obviously you have to be like funny enough to be a stand-up comic with like some amount of success or like professional sure. success but I also do think comics ultimately wanted to be musicians when they were really 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 young and then couldn't like I wanted to be a Broadway star I wanted to be on Broadway singing dancing and acting can't mm -hmm. do I can do, I can have to do one of those things. I can no longer do another and I never could do one. <laughs> which it's like fuck Mary Kill, like for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, it so was which, dance I could, yeah. I dance I used to be able to do quite well, but now I just, my body's a mess. Um, um, acting I can, like I can half act, singing is I not even a little bit. Um, so I went to comedy. I think, I think it's a Jewish thing to be tone deaf. That's what I've found in my family. Maybe not everywhere, but I, so I didn't want to be 
um, a musician or a dancer, but I did want to be a movie star. And, you know, yeah, maybe regional, but I'm working on my green card and trying to move to Hollywood still. So like, they, people say that, like, you ask, like, four-year-olds or grade ones or something like that, what they want to be when they grow up. And then they asked, there's like an experiment. They asked like, like little kids what they wanted to be. And then they asked high school students what they wanted to, like the same kids when they're in high school, what they wanted to be. And then when they were in their twenties again, and it's always like something super fun when they're little kids, something more practical, but like kind of cool when they're high school. And then when they get older again, it's the same thing that they wanted when they were little kids. And I think that that holds up on That is really, really interesting. I mean, yeah, every, every performer, every stand-up wanted to be some kind of performer. You have to want to because it's so, it's such a fucked up endeavor. Like you need to. It's very not rewarding too. Like you don't get a lot back. Like you really do have to love it. Like you, it's not, there's no, there's no safety net. It's not like you're getting benefits. If you, if you don't get success, like at some point, like you kind of just have nowhere to go. Like there's kind of no reason to do it unless you want to spend your whole life, like happily struggling doing it. hundred percent. You have to want, you have to do it to do it. Like the act of doing it is the only reward. I mean, obviously. And it's so funny because um, it, it was hard for me as a kid to understand that some kids like actually just didn't want to be seen <laughs> and like heard all the time, which is like <laughs> what stand up is. It's like, it's like what any kind of performing is. And they only now as an adult do I truly believe that those people exist. But I thought everyone, I thought kids were lying when they were like, oh no, I just want to, I don't, I, I want to be in business or whatever, you know? <laughs> That's so funny. I just thought they were lying to me. Um, okay. Uh, his early life, he was a Jew. We know this. He went to Cambridge. He's a smarty. He's a smart Jewish boy. Brilliant mind. Brilliant mind went to Cambridge. He actually only went so we could join the comedy group, which was like they were called the Cambridge Footlights, and they were like I think Monty Python came out of there, but he was never let in. They never let I, him in. I mean, he was probably too cool for them. Like, think about like the National Lampoon and stuff, like the Harvard comedy people, and them going on to write for The Simpsons. Like, you know, they must have been like such elite nerds, yeah, to create. Stuff. That and like anybody with any kind of like swag or confidence, like Sasha Baron Cohen, I'm sure would just be rejected. I like that. I like that framing of it because also I like that when I'm rejected, that's like a fun framing of it. It's like I have too much swagger. Whenever anything goes wrong, it's like I, it was too much swag on my part. And like that's something I can work on. There's nothing else I can really work on, but I can turn down the swag. Being good at being rejected is one of the biggest skills you can have. And I also always, especially when I was younger, everything bad, every time someone didn't like me, or if I cut somebody off in traffic and they honked at me, I was like, sorry, you want to fuck me? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's so true. Like, Mace and I were just, like, I mean, not just, but, like, we we have talked about how we both think that just everybody is in love with us. And I was like, I brought it up, and I was like, I kind of think everyone is in love with me. I told him that in sort of confidence, but also I do think that. And then he was like, I think everyone's in love with me. And I was like, mm, I guess maybe just everybody thinks that. <laughs> Again, I think only stand-ups, performers, just like, they, like I don't want to say narcissist because narcissist is like a very specific thing. To- it has a real stigma to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sociopathy has like this weird stigma that I'm just not comfortable with. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I also have a little bit of a um, inflated ego. Um, but yeah, so he, he got rejected, which, yeah, I just love hearing about really successful um, comedians or like, I guess he's a comedic actor being rejected from things early. That just always is good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And it also like, it also shows growth. Like he wasn't like who he is now then obviously, and probably getting rejected made him stronger. Cause he's like, cause you know, clearly he looked inwards and was like, the thing about being so good, they can't ignore you. Like he probably, you know, found an avenue on it. I mean, clearly found an avenue on his own mm-hmm. of something that people objectively think is funny. Yeah. Yeah. I also, okay. I hate reading notes and I honestly remember a lot of it. So I'm just going to, try and go off my head um he so like I think he worked at a restaurant and the restaurant was technically accredited as a um like a film school or something like basically rest people who work there as waiters could count that towards like getting um into the like acting guild whatever it's called in the in the UK and he turned that restaurant like into a comedy club and so we had on his like resume that he worked, he performed at a comedy club when really he was just working at a restaurant. Like that's basically awesome. he was a hustler. Like he hustled yeah. super hard. That's amazing. That's awesome. It kind of rings like, it kind of sounds like, I don't know, I, they don't still have them, but do you remember the Cirque du Soleil visas that all the comics used to get so that they could work in the States? Is that what they used to do? Yes. Yeah, so it was, this loophole is now closed, but I know like 10, like dozens of comedians who would get, there's the Cirque du Soleil loophole, where if you said that you worked with Cirque du Soleil, you could basically perform anyway. It was like a kind of a performance visa, but it was through Cirque du Soleil. And that's how most comics used to get their green cards for working in the States in Canada. So that's really cool that that existed and that comics figured it out. It's also very annoying um, that like circus performing is like more valuable than stand-up. People love Cirque du Soleil. People don't give a shit about Canadian stand-up. You know what? I love Cirque du Soleil. I can't lie. I'm I'm having a very contentious um, debate about Cirque du Soleil versus the Blue Man Group right now in my household, where it's like, I'm such a head. And like, I don't even know what Blue Man Group does. (laughs) It's funny that like, they're being compared. They're both just like, weird. They're both just weird. They both just feel French Canadian. <laughs> they both feel very, very French Canadian and like really, really dorky and sincere, but also cool. Um, I'm, great show. Yeah. Wait, let me think about what what um, Blue Man Group does because I went to a show as a kid. They right. eat at one point. They eat mar- they eat a lot of marshmallows and like form something. Wait, with- I, nobody can give me a straight answer as to what these people do. I've yeah. never seen. To me, I just, I thought they were like a band, but apparently <laughs> so much more than that. But this is the thing. Everyone's like, no, they're not just a band. They also eat marshmallows. I don't, like, even, that's just, I don't even know if yeah. they are a band. And people are saying they're not just a band. It's like, I don't know that they are a, they are a band at all. And then what are they? They're blue. Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> like, what would I describe their art as? Well, like, for, firstly, let me say that I'm firmly in Camp Cirque. Like, I'm also a Cirque, a Cirque face, if you will. Uh, and you know what? Here's the other thing. I would repeatedly see Cirque, whereas I'm not going to go see Blue Man Group again. Like, I get the gist. 
I will go to every new Cirque, Cirque tour, and I clearly won't even go to Blue Man Group one. I'll try and send you something from Blue Man Group. Um, okay, so he worked at that restaurant, and then he started working for this, like, news show, like, some Channel 4 news, really small cable news show, and started, like, forming characters to do their... He basically realized, like, he had this opportunity to create a reel um, by doing characters at, as a newscaster and interacting with real people. That's brilliant. It's so... And ballsy. Like, it's brilliant. And also, his producers didn't want him to do it. Like, they asked him not to, but he did it. And so now he had... <laughs> he had Borat. I think there was an early version of Borat. There was definitely an early version of Ali G. I think that's where Ali G was, like, officially created um and he still did it anyways and that's how he got like that's really how he launched his career that's so fucking cool I know that's so cool like use a gig like that and clearly also almost be willing to throw away a gig like that because it's not like cool like you're not allowed to just suddenly be doing characters on the news and it's so funny yes you're not allowed to do that um like both implicitly and explicitly um And I also think, like, it's so easy to hear about things where it's, like, you know, I think I would, I would, when I was a kid and I would hear about Sasha Baron Cohen and and people would be, like, he's, like, a a brave genius. And I'd be, like, yeah, I guess so. But he's also, like, Sasha Baron Cohen and can do whatever he wants. And, like, but no, he was nobody. He was nobody putting himself on the line, hoping he didn't get fired, and workshopping characters on the news. Oh my god, stunt king. And like that's the thing. Like when you watch Borat or when you watch LG show and stuff and you see some of the stuff that he said to like big figures as well as just random people on the street, you're like, how do you have like balls like that? Like how do you have that kind of nerve? And it's like it's because he's been practicing for no reason on his own accord for his whole life. For no reason. He it was cool too because because of Borat too, um like having to train Maria Bakalova, like the daughter who's yeah. such a genius in her own right. I was like, I cannot tell, like, I've not booked almost every role that I've ever gone out for, <laughs> but to not even be asked to go out for Borat's daughter, like, I can't tell you the kind of heartache that that brings me. Oh, we kind of look similar too. Like, I could, I, you could have done it. I feel bad that, like, even singing her praise now because, you know, this was really your role. No, I love her too. I love her too. It's okay. just, it was the role that I was born. Yeah, you're you're a gracious like head in the square during Oscars when you're not when you're the nominee but losing. That's you right now. No, I'm full of that bitch. <laughs> like <laughs> you actually would have been really good at it. Um, and just like visually, it yeah. all works. Yep. <laughs> also, not having an inner monologue is really good, probably for stunting, for pranking, because you're just like there. Maybe. I mean, I'm, I've, <laughs> I, I, it's true. I haven't really experimented very much with pranking. I do have an idea for something that I feel like I could just say on here. Yeah, please. That I've been pitching around it and nobody is really willing to put any um, like money or anything behind it. So okay. gonna, I think it's get my friend to film it. But I really want to do a thing that's like, like comedians in cars buying me coffee. And what it is, is like, I like hang out with comics. I was thinking like, 
to do it as promo for like a comedy festival or something so I can get some like bigger American comics Mm -hmm. and pretend that it's kind of just like a comedians in cars getting coffee thing Mm -hmm. but the whole point of the show is like seeing how much stuff I can get them to buy me on camera and like do like riffing and stuff in between like to kind of keep up the charade but then as soon as it's time for like to pay for lunch or something I'm like oh you might could you just get that and that's really funny I think that it's funny too. So if any producers are watching this, like, <laughs> yeah, well, she she needs money. Um, I mean, it's, it's also works on producers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, producers make this show sending me money. <laughs> you could see how far you could take it. It's like lunch is like a little bit bigger, and then like you go to like a thrift shop. Yeah, yeah, like like a like a vintage shop, and then like a ticket to something that you've been wanting to see for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I bet you people would do it just out of like politeness and anxiety. Well, that is, that is what Borat is based off of. I was watching a bunch of just late night interviews of him to like get in the mood for this podcast. And he was, did like the, I think it's called the Jonathan Ross show or something like one of the British late night talk shows. And he was saying that the entire Borat LEG series is based off of pe- people's politeness and like the more stupid of a character you're able to make them think you are the more kind of polite they're going to be to you and it especially works with like a british person or <laughs> or like um you know perfect per- person from Kazakhstan coming to america is like people just kind of want to be polite and he said one of his main strategies when he was doing borat and he was interviewing like regular people in their home is he would come in and ask if he could, um, he's like, um, could I make shit? Like, he just asked if he could come in and take a shit. And then he's like, and the strategy behind that is like, if someone comes to your house and asks if they can take a shit, like, you're going to feel bad for them. <laughs> and like, he just has all these like hilarious little tools to like create a vibe where people are just kind of trying to be soft with you. Um, so I, I watched like, a, I probably the same um, interview um, and a few others were like, yeah, so that's actually like what clown is, is like, um, he studied with this guy. Okay, wait, I need to remember his name now. Philippe Goulier. He's like the master Parisian clown, clownist. And that's like the, the character that would walk into your house and like ask if he could take shit in your home is one, is one degree away from being so stupid that he could die. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And it does it for, it It makes people, first of all, he, I think he was talking about this with Ali G, that it actually like plays on people's bias that um, somebody who sounds like vaguely ethnic would not be well-educated in the UK. Um, like very well-educated people would assume that he's not well-educated. So they're going to indulge the hell out of him at that point with like really mm-hmm. stupid questions. Um, yeah. And with Borat specifically, People, when people think that something's just going to air in, like, Central Amer- America, wherever they think he's from, they don't give mm-hmm. a – they'll say anything. I know. Especially there was just that beautiful little period of time when he was unknown and able to get away with it for so long. And that's why everyone was, like, so nervous about the new Borat movie coming out is because, like, the entire thing relies on people not knowing who this character is. Yeah. And – yeah, like there was this one, my, one of my favorite clips from the original Ali G show when he's Borat is he goes to the States and I think he's with politicians. It might be regular people, but they're doing a wine tasting and he just happens to drink all of the wine. Like instead of spitting it out, he just gets like blackout drunk. 
and passes out in the bathroom at the wine tasting for real passes out like drinks so much wine and the producers are filming him and they're like pretty worried that when he comes to he's not gonna be in character anymore and like all the people are there and watching and he had more questions he had to ask so like everyone was pretty nervous and when he finally woke up he was like I want more wine <laughs> like, it's just like he's just like such a pure like he's just he's just a brave genius he's a brave he's a brave hot genius <laughs> yeah <laughs> he reminds me of my dad um no he is he's amazing like there's only one time I've ever seen him slip um, character because so okay that's what I was saying before actually about Maria Bakalova is that because he had to he I heard him in an in, in interview in on interview um, say that like he's never had to ever explain his process before because he just does it um, but with Maria he had to like tell her what to do because now he's introducing someone else into this like crazy situation and she's young like she's like 24 she's not you know she's not American she doesn't speak the language perfectly so we felt very like protective of her and um he just like basically told her whenever you're the most scared you have to sink further into character like just go further wow. in and I-, I was like that sounds even scarier <sighs> no it's brave and it's genius it's brave and it's hot and it's genius and it's bad <laughs> hey, one second hold on one second I need to Quickly get a napkin. Um, this quick napkin break. I just started like randomly bleeding. It's fine. Bleeding uh, where? <laughs> um, like, I have a cut on my finger and it just like. Oh, okay. Because it's like you can take a moment in the bathroom if you need. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why I refer to getting my period. <laughs> I just started <laughs> randomly bleeding. Um, I just need a napkin. <laughs> ew. Ew. <laughs> Calling like. Like the word sanitary napkin is the most disgusting. I mean, the words. existence of them alone is already disgusting to Yeah, me. it's pretty horrendous. I put in a tampon the minute I got my period. Oh, same. Because that's that was like putting in a tampon was still less scary. Or like t- putting in a tampon scariness was less dramatic than the horrendousness of like essentially free bleeding downward into yeah, I don't want to wear a diaper. Actually, it's very funny that you bring up free bleeding because that is one of my favorite lines from when he did Who is America, where he has a whole new cast of characters mm-hmm. um, and was interviewing people. And when he was being kind of the like lib libtard whatever, like trying to like hang with like middle America, yeah, he was saying like yeah, our, our daughter Willow, uh, we encourage her to free. free- <laughs> <laughs> And like they just look so horrified. <laughs> Ew, also, just he control he control anybody. Like he can do such a good parody of literally any trope of person that we know. I know it's it's well. That's the thing. You have to be a really good actor to do that. Um, because how quickly? Oh, this was another thing he said about uh, Maria. They they auditioned like tons of girls, as we know, except for you, and they they actually pulled them into like a real situations they got this like a few real couples to come in and interact with the actresses to like see if they bought it and so many of the couples were like oh wait this is a joke like this is a prank until maria came and then they totally believed it wow yeah you have to be so sincere like you and you i don't know how how they i mean i'm not good at regular acting let alone like in front of real people acting like i can't imagine like just having no sense of like i know what's going on behind your eyes it's just it's it's almost psychopathic 
how, how good they must be. It is, it is almost psychopathic, especially the shit he has to say, like, um, when he's talking to Bernie, Bernie Sanders as that, like, whatever that character is. And he's a, he says, you know, before, before Obama, I had like no diseases and now I have three, um, diabetes. And then I forget what the second one is. And then the third one is, and then diabetes in the legs, I think is what he says. Yeah, he said, I, I, I think, it, I don't remember exactly what the three things are, too. I think it's diabetes one, diabetes two, and something else. And then That's he's right. like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then, like, fat in my legs or something like that. Like, oh, oh, it's obese legs. <laughs> obesity in my legs. And it's like, I know, and Bernie Sanders, like, I don't know how they got him to do it, but it's so, but the way he's sitting, too, it's, like, so uncomfortable. And I'm such a Bernie bro, too. Love so Bernie. It's just, Really a mashup of my probably two favorite Jews. <laughs> really, really a very special collab. I would love to see them collab like f- without the character in the middle. It'd be really yeah. interesting to see them well, talk. I was really impressed to see Bernie able to hit his notes that he always hits, even with this character. Like this is how you know Bernie is like true to himself. Like he can spin any convo into his couple points. That is so true. He didn't lose patience even with him. No. He just sat. You know, there's like. He handled it so well, it was almost disarming. Like, it was, it's kind of like a, like, rock in a hard place because Sasha Baron Cohen is so good at putting people in a bad position yep. and making them patient or just, like, cold or mean. Yep. And Bernie is the most patient, kind person. So them together is just so interesting. I totally agree. And they're, they both are, like, um, they will, they're committed to the talking points. One one more comedically yeah. than the other, but for sure. And I also think it, like, took away the, I, I, for some reason, there's this huge swath of, like, I think mostly Americans who think of Bernie as being rude and impatient and, like, curmudgeonly. When saying that he's, like, was like yelling too much and that's why he lost, it's, like, does he yell or does he just have a loud old man voice? Like, he just I don't find is Jewish. He's just a Jewish man. That's just what they sound like. You know what I mean? I'm I know. Like, and I, I get so tired of like the Christian politicians, like, like, especially Joe Biden is just so dry. And I was like, just saying that I, I feel like he really relies on saying like, and God bless our troops. Like he really thinks that that is impactful enough to make up for his lack of charisma. He just brings up the Lord all the time and thinks that that makes you a good speaker. And it doesn't. The Lord is one of the least charismatic people I've ever had the pleasure of not meeting. (laughs) And I hope to continue to not meet him. Stay up there, buddy. Um, <laughs> this is my domain. It, you know, people bring the, people invoke the Lord a lot when they don't have much else to say, for sure. I also am, like, yeah. biased against... I have, like... I want to say a fear of Christianity, but, like, I have weird feelings about That's it. A healthy distaste for it. Yeah, no, me a too. healthy and, distaste, but, yeah. And when the fact that the President of the United States always seems to bring it up, like, whoever they may be, and they're always, like, you know, healthcare and this and that, but mostly our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like, is he supposed to be saying that? Like, is that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a a factor of being Canadian that like, we're just not used to. Like it's, yeah, it's like, that's so inappropriate. Like that's actually (laughs) really personal, but in the States they're like, no, this like, it's what's done. Like, that's how you know the speech is over, is when he says, God bless us, everyone. And, like, imagine fucking Trudeau saying, God bless our troops. Like, we would be like, 
Like, what is this guy smoking? So he's saying, God bless us, everyone, like from um, a Christmas car- a Christmas story? A Christmas carol? What's wrong with me? I don't know. I don't like, watch the, Christmas. The Dickens, um, the Dickens novel where the little boy at the end is like, God bless us, everyone. Yeah, I just think that's from Joe Biden. <laughs> I like, but also it just shows how Jewish, not how Jewish you are, but how, like, I don't know any of the Christian prayer. Like, that, that, that seems like a like a normal Christian. I recently found out what Easter is for. <laughs> what it's for, what its purpose well, is. Yeah. <laughs> I I never remember. First of all, I never remember which day Christmas is. I get confused between the twenty fifth and the twenty sixth. Mm-hmm. And then when I say that, people when I tell Christians like I'm like sorry, they'll be like it's on Christmas. Like if I'm planning something or we're talking <laughs> about something, and I'm like, can you remind me when that is? And they're like, oh my god, Christmas Day. <laughs> You know what it is? I feel like Christians are like the popular girls from high school style conversations all the time. Like the way that they're like, do you remember in the Bible how they said to be nice to others? And then we're like, is this supposed to be impactful? <laughs> that's, that's so funny that it's like, yeah, the Ten Commandments are so, are such like, they're not banal, but they're like basic. They kind of are. They're pretty basic. Um, I, I would describe them as intuitive. <laughs> as intuitive, and if you need help with them, you're in trouble. If you need a, if yeah, you need you to jot, like- if you need to jot that down to consult, <laughs> that's dangerous. yeah. Maybe <laughs> yeah. There's there's none among them of the ten that are like math equations or like things that I need to be taught. Exactly. So were you like? So you saw the second Bora, obviously, right when it came out. Yeah. Were you happy with it? I was. And, like, I know a lot of um, Borat people were not because it wasn't, like, the pure kind of Borat that the first movie was. But I knew that it wasn't going to be that. Like, it can't be. Too many people know him. Like, he's an A-list celebrity, basically. He can't just be Borat again. So as soon as they kind of leaked that there was going to be, like, a girl-daughter character, I was, like, perfect. Like And, like had full faith that he would pick somebody that's like true to the, the like the style that he likes to do. Yeah. And yeah, I figured that he wasn't going to really interact with people at all. So I was, I was pretty stoked to see him doing like the weird Southern character being or or was that, I don't remember actually who that he does. He, I think his name is like Johnny America or something or like, like that when he when he like speaks at the rally and then hangs out with them and he's like what's more dangerous coronavirus or liberals or something like that and they're like liberals and he's like or or like Hillary Clinton or something like that and it's just like it's just incredible how comfortable he makes people feel speaking their truth and like yeah. I don't even really feel like he's putting them on blast like he's just showing people's deepest opinions and I think that that's the thing that's missing in a lot of discourse is like people's real opinions and that's why he's able to get out there somehow from everybody even Rudy Giuliani (laughs) that's a good point like so so we know like in theory how racist um misogynistic homophobic whatever this like particularly particular sect of America is but like really only in theory like how much footage do we really have of them really being as honest as they are in a Sasha Baron Cohen production. Not a lot. No, and it's because he doesn't create a vibe of it being an expose. He creates a safe environment to talk, which is like shows how 
not often people are presented with that too like that it's such a skill that's people true. i think don't feel free to talk most of the time in, in most situations in their life let alone on camera you do have to let people be honest in order to change opinions like you do there has to be some level of letting people speak before you tell them what before you set the norms because once you've set the norms they're not gonna cross the boundary so like yes absolutely yes and like one thing that like people on on the liberal side and on the conservative side both do is they really love to argue with the stupidest point of the other side yeah and that isn't that's not fixing anything because the people on that side are like well that's not me that's like the most extreme version of us and that's why we there's no common ground because they're like well, this is how they view us and this is how we view them. Like, and it's not, there's no real conversations happening. Sasha Baron Cohen. Okay. Yeah. I think the key, so like, it's not, so he put, he manages to do two things, which is put people at ease, like make people really comfortable. Um, like if you even, I, I rewatched the first Borat and prep for this. So good. Okay. But when he's talking to those like three drunk frat guys in the trailer, in the van. In the van. Yes. He's like, he, the frat guys, straight men love homoerotic friendship rituals. Like they love hugging and touching once they're really drunk. And he does such a good job of like being so intimate with them. And he does that. And then he also, he says something kind of off color. So they know they're safe to like say something off color. Those are like the two tricks, I think. Yeah. Yes, totally. Well, that's like what, yeah, it's the shared vulnerability. And to them, like the vulnerable thing, like the thing that's their truth that they feel like they have to hide is like gay stuff and racist stuff and misogynist stuff. And they think, I think that's what's interesting is that um, when Trump was running for president and one thing that seemed to be so appealing about him to a certain kind of person is that he's, I'm putting this in quotes for the listeners, he's saying what we're all thinking. Like, oh, he's saying what we're all thinking. And I'm like, oh, that's the thing. Like these people really truly believe that every single white person is terrified of non-white people, that every single non-Jew wants to murder the Jew. Like, so of course they're just waiting for you to say it. And if you don't say it, you're just lying. I know it's like us with like the performers when we were little kids. We were like, of course, everybody wants to be a star. Stop lying. <laughs> I'm still not sure that they were not lying. No, I think also that they're lying because it's like shyness is not a choice. That's a condition. And if they didn't have that, they would be, they would want to be stars too. <laughs> it's also like being shy is like such an attention grabbing thing to be anyway. It's like, I'm shy. Like, but to be shy and when someone's an introvert it's like it's big pick me energy <laughs> it is it's like basically like being an extrovert i know you know it's it's worse it's stop worse. asking me to look at you um <laughs> um okay so you were happy with the second borat yes i was happy i thought that they did a good job and it was like a beautiful you don't see a lot of father daughter father father-daughter relationships being shown and he also did a you know as he does with everything a statement on father-daughter relationships like how dads are it's kind of okay for dads to pretend like they don't care about their daughters except for like you know making sure they find the right husband like he really he really did good work on 
And I mean, I don't know. I don't think he has kids. Maybe he does, but like, there's no reason that he should know what like that depths of father daughter relationships are like. So he has three kids, which I did not know. He's super pregnant, but they're not Um, old. I know that they like him and his wife don't post very much online, but that makes sense. They don't post their kids. They're really, really private. He has three kids, but they're young, they're little. And there's a huge difference between being a father to babies or like little kids and like a young woman. Um, I'm I'm such a sucker for father-daughter stuff. Like I it's a it's a really special kind of relationship. And that's actually what none of this works. None of the stuff he does works if there's not some kind of like pathos behind it. Um, because otherwise it is just like jackass. Which is also great, but yeah, it's so intentional. Yes, I also love Jackass. Are there any Jews in Jackass? I feel like Steve-O might be Jewish or something. He's the only one who that could be. Um, but again, that is a very that's a very Christian energy too. Like I don't know, like Jews are a little more cautious. I think about um, getting hurt. It's true. I remember the Christian boys at my high school would all be like, hey, let's go jump off the roof. And like the Jewish boys would never. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, I'm going to ask my mom if, if I can. She she doesn't want me to. <laughs> yeah, they'd get ahead of it. They'd be like, my mom already told me preemptively that I'm not allowed to jump off of roofs because that's not doctor behavior. Because <laughs> then, then I'll have to go to the doctor and then the doctor community will know that I'm not fit to be a doctor. <laughs> Um, okay, so we co- we actually like covered a lot. I mean, we mostly covered Borat, but that's the most important part. Did you like Bruno? Were you a Bruno fan? The movie? Oh, bravely, I did. And okay. a lot of people did not, but I remember seeing it in theaters with my dad. And the the scene where Bruno's bare dick is doing like a helicopter and then looks straight in the camera and the hole says Bruno, like that's art, like. <laughs> <laughs> Like, to me, any use of, like, full dick and balls on the big screen is so funny. Like, I just rewatched Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and Jason Siegel does full frontal in it. And it's so – Jason Siegel also does full frontal in Knocked Up. And there is not a time where it doesn't make me laugh hysterically. So if you see dick – when you see dick and balls in real life, comedic? I don't laugh, but that's okay. why – but that's like why I think I like it on screen because you can't laugh in person but it's like (laughs) but you sort of want to so you've just been holding in like your laughter totally and yeah yeah and that's my thing where it's like this is what everyone's thinking this it's like when there's dick and balls on screen and you're supposed to laugh I'm like finally someone's being honest (laughs) also dick and balls like like Penis and, and um, testicles aren't funny, um, but no. dick and balls are so funny. Dick and balls, and I would tag that with cock and balls, also very cock funny. Cock and balls, really, really good. Um, I thought Bruno was really funny. My booby didn't. Um, she did not I like Bruno. Not imagine booby looking at. <laughs> Bubbies don't like Bruno. Um, but that movie, like, legitimately almost got him killed more than any other movie he did. Um this. Yeah, well, there was that one, there was that one, was, was that Bruno when he, no, that must have been Borat when he goes and talks to the, like, Israel and Palestine, oh, did we freeze again? No, I think I was just being really still. So, um, was that, was that Bruno or Borat when he ta- has, like, the peace talks with Israel and Palestine, and he's like, will you both, like, hummus? 
That must be Bruno because I just watched both Borat's and I don't remember it. Okay, so it was Bruno and I remember now because he adds Bruno as like in like a song later hosen. So goes and has, you know, a head of peace talks for, you know, Israel and Palestine. And he's like, yeah, you both love hummus. Like, how about that? And they're like, that's their angle. Like that we both like, yes, we both like hummus. Like, that's not really anything. And he gets chased. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just now remembering that it was actually his interview with like a terror, like a head of Al Qaeda or something, which may have been, may have been in the show or Borat or Bruno. The point is he interviewed like a, a big terrorist guy Yeah, and asking really inappropriate questions. And they have like subtitles in it. And he says something and the translator says it to the terrorist and the terrorist like says something and then the translator says, get out, get out now. And then he just, like, he literally almost got killed. And, but the thing is, that's the, that's what's so incredible. It's like, he's almost gotten killed so many, so many times, times in so many situations. He's been banned from countries. Like, he just, like, what, what length will he not go to entertain me? I just, that's an entertainer, you know? Truly. And, like, and, and he does all of that in the pursuit of comedy which is like very special, but also in the pursuit of like exposing really shitty people. Um, but yeah, I know he he like almost died a few times in Bruno. The scene at the end where he is like at a wrestling match, fight. Yes, um, they had to do that twice, I think. And there was like so such a funny thing about his movies is that he has to have a security team. Like that is that is a must in every movie he does. And um, they basically built like this cage and the, the whole thing was that the audience or like the crowd was not, could not get to him because if they could, he really was in real danger. Um, and they built mm-hmm. something. Um, this is not, this is not Afghanistan or anything. No. Yeah. This was, this was somewhere in like Alabama, maybe. I don't know. Somewhere in the States. And um, someone did manage to get, like, basically, they were all on his side for a while because um, they just thought he was, like, a, like a, a, not a wrestler, like a boxer, until he makes out with his boyfriend and then they turn on him. And he had to, like, fully escape through a tunnel. Um, <laughs> like, like the president. Like they created a tunnel. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm sure, I'm sure we both rewatched the same interview about this before too, about how like he had to run it by his lawyer, what they were allowed to do. Because right. I, yeah. And how like his lawyer said, you know, oh yeah, it was Alabama. Cause he was like, in Alabama, or maybe just in America, just do not cross state lines to incite a riot and he was like okay but I hear you but the problem is I intend to cross state lines and start a riot and then because he was planning obviously to go do this wrestling match and then do gay stuff and he knew the crowd was gonna riot which is crazy and so they had to talk about what was allowed to to be done between the two of them and I don't really understand what the parameters would be but the, the guy was like yeah you cannot play with his nipples you cannot, your finger cannot go near his rectum. And yep. he was like, okay, what about my palm on his rectum? And he was like, that's okay. And it's like, it's just so funny. Cause it's clearly like 
angles for like public displays of affection too. Like it's like it can't be too sexual, but you're allowed to you technically allowed to, you know, be gay in public. <laughs> technically. But yeah, he and then he had to be mindful of that the whole time. Right. Like so he's like in this he's like in mortal danger. Some gigantic guy that he absolutely could never win in a fight against crosses in and is like on his tail. Um and like amidst all this crazy shit happening, he has to be like, okay, wait, oh no, no, I have to do flat palm on the anus. And like, I, my mouth can't be like near his ear, like whatever it is he had to, yeah, there was just like, this is where inner monologue comes in handy though, because I would just be all, I would be out of nerves, just deep in his anus, you know, <laughs> just out of a reaction. Oh yeah. So the only, so not having an inner monologue means that you're always heading for the anus Heart instantly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. I see. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like I would love to be able to. I mean, not that I have that many sexual parameters, but um, it would be good for like to have like a lawyer who could communicate them on my behalf instead of me, me always having to do it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to do a stand-up bit for a while about how I wanted like a UFC ref whenever present whenever I was like having sexual stuff. Like we want a clean fight, you know, no shots to the head or something like that. And I, I was never able to make it work because I can't sell, like, I can't do characters. So I couldn't really be the ref. But oh, you're so cute. No, but you don't, I like that about your stand-up that you don't really change much of like your cadence or your voice when you're playing somebody else, yeah, but that's, that's what funny. works. It's like, it's very funny. In 2019, Baron Cohen was awarded the Anti-Defamation League. Wait, was awarded? an international leadership award for opposing bigotry and prejudice and accepting the award. Baron Cohen gave an impassioned speech directing criticism at internet companies, singling out Facebook, Google, YouTube, and Twitter as part of the biggest propaganda machine in history and claiming that their rules on hate speech meant that they would have let Hitler buy ads. I mean, he's right. And this is the thing. He really has his finger on the pulse of like, of what is good and what is bad in the world and what the, what the, and I think especially not to toot our own horns, but I think that Jewish people a lot of the time really have their pulse on like, what is the next big danger in society? Because we're always like looking out in case it's us again. Was (laughs) literally just talking about this with my friend. Yeah. And I think that that's why we have that energy. And it's pretty clear that like the social media companies as well as like Amazon are the next, like main problem in society in like during the civil rights movement especially in the 60s um the of the white people jews were like way overrepresented in activism for um like the women's movement the uh black civil rights movement like um and i think i mean i think part of that is also just like there's you know, there's obviously a lot of conservative Jews, but there is like, when you are a liberal Jew, you're very, very liberal. It's like a part of your upbringing and culture and identity. But I also think it's what you're saying, which is like, we are literally always watching our backs. And if we might as well, like, we better look out for everybody because if we, because we're already looking out for ourselves too. Like, we're just looking for the enemy all the time. Um, but, but I have thing I do in my head that I do that I didn't really realize I did to people but to non-Jewish people but I just like I realized that I I I create my narrative on certain people based on whether or not I think they would have been a Nazi or not and it's actually a much lower bar than you would think like you would think someone like Donald Trump like he would be a Nazi but it's actually much lower than that because it's like 
people that are not brave enough to go beyond the norm are people that would have been Nazis. Hell yeah. And that's what, that's literally how I judge people. And like, I would have been a Nazi in that way in that, um, you know, I like to go with the flow. <laughs> really? But I think you seem pretty like, you'll say the thing maybe someone else doesn't want to say. Um, although you could, although because you look kind of Christian, it might've been hard to pass up that sweet, sweet opportunity to be like, everybody, but my, my, heritage is like a lot of German so it's clear um okay wait but this made me laugh that just the idea of like Hitler um buying up like space on Facebook that is um, really and so if it's okay I thought we could like figure out just really quickly like some some marketable things about Hitler I love it I love it okay so um like so he's loud like as an attribute he's very loud Okay. That's like a good thing about him, I guess. Um, he cares about dealing with the issues. Like he cares about the issues. Um, the issues are just very issues are just the Jewish people, but that he does care about them. And he cares a lot. And the issues are like really just one thing. Um, well, that is the, I guess the, I guess the point of like all of those things is that he's like very passionate and would probably have like a really good short clip, like very clickbaity, like very good, like 30 second absorbable for Instagram. Yes. Yes. Very shareable. And like, you know, like on TikTok or whatever, they advise you to pull, like you got to pull them in right away. Like you have to say something really interesting right away. He would be really good at that. Um, He's also- You're supposed to do that with sketches and it's called the dangle. (laughs) Ew. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's where that comes out of my butthole. Um, okay, he's, he's not handsome, but he's kind of sexy if you like yelling. Well, you can kind of tell that he would, like, choke you a little, so that's not, not for everybody, obviously, but it's something. <laughs> and also, like, not for everybody, again, like, okay, so he is, he's, like, extremely anti-Semitic, um, which is not gonna play well, right. but when it does play well, it plays really well, and I think we should play it up. Yeah. Like you got to find your niche. You got to find your audience. Yeah. And that's, that's true. That's kind of like with stand up. Like you start off being like one, you kind of just like mimic what you see and then eventually you find your voice. And if your voice happens to be like deeply anti-Semitic, it is. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, okay. So that's us marketing Hitler on the (laughs) Canadian Jewish news network. Okay. We'll talk like quickly about his personal life. Honestly, the main thing that I find interesting, I mean, I love Isla Fisher. Big she's fan. incredible. She's effervescent. Effervescent. Gorgeous. So funny. Mm-hmm. So talented. Okay, this is like obviously like off the record, but I keep seeing comedians getting vaccinated and I'm like, ugh, like, it just reminds me that I have to see certain comedians again. You know what I mean? Totally. It's like, what are you getting vaccinated for? You know, if I could just pick and choose who, which comedians got vaccinated. You should tweet that, honestly. You should be like, I keep seeing people getting vaccinated. It's like, it's never who you want. <laughs> it's so true, though. Um, okay. So Isla Fisher, so beautiful. Also converted to Judaism for him. We love to see it. Like, my I, my it. boyfriend, despite looking so Jewish, is actually not Jewish and has said that he will convert so that we can have a Jewish wedding. Um, so sweet. But- 
is the thing. I really do want him to do it, but I didn't have a bat mitzvah even. So he would be even more Jewish than me if he did that. But I think that it would really raise the Jewishness of our family. Exactly. And like, you'll learn with him. And also Mm -hmm. like when you're born into Judaism, like you have to like eat the payoff or the sacrifice rather is like, you have to be raised by Jewish parents. Like that is your conversion. Like it's yeah. just being relentlessly Jewified your whole life by and two neurotic people. And told about the Holocaust. Daily basis. Like, Hey, stop crying. Remember that 6 million of our people died. And you're like, I know I just hurt myself. Like, can I have, can I not have this? <laughs> I know. And also none of the uh, cute Christian boys having a crush on you when you're younger and you haven't really found your niche yet of like, that is way more Jewish than a bat mitzvah, I think. It is. It's so Jewish. It's so Jewish before you like find out that's not like not, there's not only one type of like little girl that boys like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And they have three kids, which is really cute. Okay. We're going to wrap up by playing three truths and a lie. Okay. I'm going to tell you three true things. I won't lie. And you're going to guess, which is the lie. Okay. Oh, I've been like creaking in this chair. I hope my mic didn't pick it up. Oh, I don't hear it at all. Okay, great. Um, okay. Sasha used to make money as a break dancer when he was a little boy. There's one. Uh, two. His uncle is a father. Fi- <laughs> His uncle is a figure skater and won several championships, including one where he was dressed as Borat. Okay. okay. Three, his grandmother was a 99-year-old fitness instructor. Four, and as long as you keep track of, we'll go over it. Four, the FBI has a dossier on Borat, like a real version of Borat. Okay. So I'll break down my initial thoughts. Okay. FBI thing re- like sounds very true to me, like based off of all of the riots he has caused and his general tomfoolery, I feel like would be on their radar. So like to that one for me is like, feels must be true. And there's only one lie, right? Mm -hmm. Only one lie. Okay. So the other ones are like family member things, which is like trickier. I feel I, I like, or I guess the, the breakdancing one could also be him. The thing is, I don't think in any of the Ali G episodes, I don't think I saw him break dancing. And I feel like if he had that, that would be in character. So I feel that perhaps he would have done that if he had that skill, but also he has so many skills, like he couldn't possibly show them all. I like the two family member things because I feel like if one is true, the other must also be true because it's just like athletic family up to, up to weird stuff. Um, and like a Jewish women have incredible longevity. So I think that the grandmother being a 99 year old fitness instructor is true. And therefore I think the figure skating thing should be true as well. Cause just weird athletic family, um, leaving the break dancer one to be the lie in, as my guess. Okay. So here's the thing. I play this game every time and only one person so far, I think just Nemirov got it right. Um, cause I'm really good at this, but no one has showed their work quite like you. And so I'm just going to give you <laughs> points because uh, that was like a really logical breakdown of all of the point of all of the options. You're wrong. Okay. Um, yeah. the uncle figure skater is a lie. Okay. But I knew that it would seem real because there's like another family thing. And it's also like so specific. 
He used to be a little baby break dancer. That's incredible. And, and it does fit. It does work. It's just, I, out of memory, could not picture him doing it. So I bet he didn't. I bet you're right. Up. I bet you're right to remember that. Cause he wasn't good. It was just, um, like he would do it on the street and leave out like a little bucket. He was just cute. Yeah. Wait, we never talked about um, him being hot. We can just, I, I've, I am very attracted to I him. I think it, you just kept linking it to your dad. So I feel like you don't want to use any of those takes, but I think you should be brave and just put it out. Well, oh, I used to have a joke about um, saying daddy in bed and I actually haven't done material in so long. I don't remember any of my bits. Oh my God. Yeah, but those two could be linked for sure. Like that feeds into yeah, that. That's true. What is my daddy in bed bit? Saying daddy in bed. Oh, that I say Steven in bed because I think it's weird to say daddy. And so I say my dad's actual name. That's um, so funny. That's such a good joke. Uh, so that is literally about, anyways, point being, I'm very proud. I'm very proud about um, my Freudian weird jokes. Um, and Sasha Baron Cohen is a fox. Mm-hmm. But that, like, to me, that's just, like, conventional. Like, I feel like even if he was as brilliant as he is, the American star system only accepts those that are conventionally good looking. I just saw this, like what I think was, I probably saw it on TikTok, a breakdown of like, is he not conventionally attractive or is he just Jewish? And they did a bunch of them. Like they did like, you know, um, Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel and like all of them. It's like, he's got a sharp jawline. He's got a nice head of hair. He's tall. Like he's just Jewish. He's because girls always feel like, Oh my God, I'm so weird for thinking like Seth. Oh, you froze, girl. Okay, wait. Okay, you're back. <laughs> I, I saw, I saw the TikTok you're talking about, and it's really po- poignant. I mean, I think we're back. I think so. What were we saying? Oh, just that we should send each other TikToks. I'm so open to that. It's a really good way into like a really long-lasting friendship. I think so too. That's why I started a podcast to make friends. <laughs> that is honestly the best way to make friends. <laughs> To force someone to talk to you like with full attention, like no phone for an hour, like minimum an hour. Yeah, absolutely. I am also I proudly don't go on my phone a lot. Like I, I give full attention. None of my friends do that though. None of my. Oh, I mean, we're in. I love to make. I make such. I make such comments about it too. Like, what are you doing on your phone? I do it. I don't care. I am so close to implementing a no phones at the dinner table policy. Like it's like, it's really hard to implement it all the time, but if we're going to go for dinner, you're going to fucking put your phone down. Jewish mothers already. I love a no phone at the dinner table policy. But like the, the rudeness, the fact that I get that it's a generational thing, but the fact that we are the ones who are like maybe a little bit out of line or like absurd, it's like, that is so rude to be, what are you doing on your phone? Something probably talking to somebody else or thinking or like on social media, which is basically like talking to somebody else. It's rude. Okay. I'm since the internet is so terrible. I'm just going to say thank you for doing this. And that it was so fun to talk to you. Oh my God. I had the best time ever. I can't wait to hang out in Toronto. I know. Um, yeah, you were like the perfect podcast guest. And the fact that your favorite Jew is like also your favorite performer. That's our first favorite favorite wow we're really proud huge um okay thank you so much for doing this sophie yes thank you for having me i had the best time my pleasure we'll hang soon okay bye bye
I want to give a huge, massive, giant thank you to my guest this week, Sophie Buttle. You can check out her website, sophiebuttlecomedy.com. That's Buttle spelled B-U-D-D-L-E. She has a comedy album on there that you can download. You can also follow her on Twitter at Sophie Buttle or on Instagram at SophBuds. Also check out her podcast, Obsessed with Sophie Buttle, on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. This show is hosted and edited by me, Laura Lebo. Executive producer is Michael Freeman. We are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo, on Twitter at Tweebo, and follow the CJN on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Find other podcasts at thecjn.ca. Please make sure to subscribe and review the podcast. It really helps us out, and we are nice. Also, just so you know, I'm taking a short break from the podcast to pursue another project uh, with the CJN very briefly, but we will be back at the beginning of July, so stay tuned for that. Love you! Bye.